Training camp is officially upon us with the Seahawks reporting to the VMAC today. What are some offensive storylines that fans should be watching closely as the Seahawks begin preparation for the 2022 season? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our latest edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have him back in the saddle again. And it's officially the start of training camp. The Seahawks veterans and rookies reporting today. First practice coming up tomorrow. So, Football season is officially here. We're going to be diving into training camp, looking at some offensive storylines and some players to watch on the offensive side of the football the next few weeks in a jam-packed Tuesday episode. Without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's felt like it's been a year since the Seahawks last played a football game, but they will be back on the practice field tomorrow. Rookies and veterans reporting to the VMAC for 2022 training camp today. So that means we've officially reached the season. Football has returned, and that means it's time for some storylines. And the Seahawks are coming into this season, Rob, obviously with a lot of new faces, some significant turnover on the roster, as well as the coaching staff. I think it'd be remiss not to mention, though, as the first big storyline in offense. I know that it's kind of cliche at this point because it's been talked about for the last four months, but what is the game plan under center? Well, yeah, that, that's the obvious storyline ever since Seattle made the, the shocking trade of Russell Wilson. And, uh, and before we even kind of break this down, Corb, I just want to, you know, just kind of, as you said, just celebrate the, the fact that here we are on the eve of NFL training camps opening up to the media. And so NFL and Seahawks fans, yes, football is back. There's only a couple of days on the calendar that are more exciting for me personally. Christmas, of course, my wife's birthday anniversary, the NFL draft, and then the opening of NFL training camp. All 32 NFL teams, of course, are going to be opening up training camp today, Tuesday, July 26th. So it is going to be fascinating. And there may not be a more fascinating story in all of the NFL, Corbin, than what the Seahawks plan to do at the quarterback position. Obviously, acquiring Drew Locke in the trade of Russell Wilson to Denver. You have Juno Smith uh, on, on the roster, as well as Jacob Eason as well. I think it's going to be a fascinating competition. I really am curious to see if Seattle is going to basically – do a one-on-one -on -one competition between Drew Locke and Jacob Eason. Let them alternate snaps with the ones. What we've seen so far is primarily Geno Smith as the number one, and he's been operating with the number one receivers, number one running backs, number one offensive line, Drew Locke operating with the number twos. Does Seattle alternate that? I think that's something that we have to consider here, especially considering that there's only three preseason games rather than four. So who does win that quarterback battle? We've talked about this before, Corbin. We both have kind of our, our votes out there. This obviously is the biggest storyline in Seattle's training camp. Yeah, and I know that a lot of analysts are looking at this quarterback situation with a big frown. Pretty much all the rankings coming out, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, at the bottom of the list as Tier 4 or Tier 5 quarterbacks on the athletics rankings that came out a few days ago. There's been others as well. 
And so the Seahawks have been panned for their quarterback group. And one of these guys is going to be trying to step up. And really, it gives you a, a lens into the future maybe too, because if Drew Locke ends up being the guy, again, he's only 25, maybe he can play his way into being your long-term answer at quarterback. I don't know that Geno Smith has a door to become that guy being a significantly older quarterback, but both these guys have a ton at stake and probably going to be touching on that more a little bit later, but certainly you've got two guys that are in a prime position to be starting quarterbacks for a second time after failing with their initial teams, washing out second round picks. There's a lot of similarities, obviously some different skill sets as well, but this is the cloud that's hanging over the Seahawks right now. The second biggest cloud is, is DK Metcalf going to get paid? And obviously, it doesn't matter who's under center. That's going to be the prime target along with Tyler Lockett. You're hoping that you have him on the field when training camp starts tomorrow. Coming back from foot surgery, from what I've been told, he's pretty much healed and should be ready to go. It's just going to be a question, is he actually going to be out there practicing? Is there going to be a hold in? Is he going to hold out if there's not a contract? So that is a significant variable here in the early stages of training camp. Oh, no question. And obviously, as we talked about in our very first point, uh, you know, Seattle has a new quarterback. And so the wide receiver and DK Metcalf needs to be on the field just to develop that rapport with that new quarterback. And then just all the, the, the salary cap ramifications of whatever that new deal might be expected to be something very similar to the one that AJ Brown, DK Metcalf's former teammate at Ole Miss received uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles four years, a hundred million dollars roughly with about half of that, a little bit more than that guaranteed. Um, and so obviously that is going to be big. And as you mentioned, uh, what, what kind of tactic is DK Metcalf and his represent representatives going to take? Uh, in their negotiations with Seattle. Um, it has been Seattle's kind of MO in the past to extend these contract negotiations a little bit into training camp. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams do that hold in, as you said, when they arrive, they're there, they're participating in the means, but they're just not actually physically being active. And again, I think that's important. We know that DK Metcalf is an unbelievable athlete. No one has those types of concerns, but it is critical that he develops that rapport with whoever the quarterback is. So I think that this is very, uh, you know, very intelligently well-placed as the number two cloud, as you said, uh, you know, it's kind of hovering over Seattle right now. And, you know, it's, it's funny that we said cloud here because our number three point, who will emerge as the complementary third weapon in the passing game? Frankly, it's cloud coverage that is kind of forcing Seattle to have to kind of look elsewhere besides DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Obviously, Noah Fant was, uh, you know, big addition in that, that Drew Locke trade at, or in Russell Wilson trade, of course, and then the, the you know the the D Eskridge, the, the selection a year ago. What is he going to be able to provide? That I think is another significant to uh, topic that Seattle has to get addressed on offense this year. Well, that's really been a big issue for the last couple seasons running, as you mentioned, the cloud coverage taking away the deep ball and not having those third and fourth options that could consistently get open for Russell Wilson or Russell Wilson not getting the football to them, whether that's a receiver, a tight end. I think Noah Fant, D. Eskridge, obviously those are going to be the immediate names that come to mind as that number three receiver. But Freddie Swain might have something to say about that. Or Colby Parkinson or one of the incoming rookie receivers, such as Bo Melton. They've got plenty of depth at both positions. There's plenty of receiving talent. It's just going to boil down to who is going to be that third receiver that really emerges as a trusted target for Drew Locke or Geno Smith. And so that's going to be a top storyline that we're going to be watching throughout training camp. 
And going to the line, obviously, it doesn't matter who your receivers are if you can't get the football to them because you're under duress constantly. And that is a big talking point for the Seahawks team. How is this new look offensive line going to gel? You could have as many as three new starters. In fact, it's looking very likely you're going to have three new starters in the line, both your tackles. Maybe Jake Curhan ends up winning the right tackle job, and then you'll have two new starters, so to speak. But he still only got five starts under his belt. Things are looking up for Abraham Lucas to potentially be a day one starter at right tackle. Charles Cross already has the left tackle job cemented in for him. And then you're going to have Austin Blythe at center. So, yeah, you've got a lot of new pieces, a lot of youth on this offensive line. It's really going to boil down to how quickly this group gels, especially those tack- those tackles. How do they get acclimated to this pro-style offense? That's going to give them the best chance to hit the ground running and be a competent offensive line from the outset for Seattle. Yeah, I love that you said hit the ground running because I think that's one of the ways that you try to protect a young and relatively inexperienced offensive line. And, and not only inexperienced, as you said, Jake Curhan being Seattle's longest tenured offensive tackle on the roster at this point with five career starts, but of course, inexperienced in terms of working together. Um, you know, they they brought in the veteran center, Austin Blythe. We'll talk about him a little bit later today, Corbin, but it's kind of similar to what we saw with Gabe Jackson a year ago. I think there was all this expectation expectation that Gabe Jackson to come in and be a bit of a difference maker for Seattle. And he was a solid player, but I don't think that he was truly a difference maker for them this past season. It's going to be interesting to see what Austin Blythe is able to provide because, of course, while Seattle has all kinds of transitions uh, with their roster, the Super Bowl Rams still have Aaron Donald, and that is something that Seattle has to figure out at that center position. So, again, kind of going back to what you said, will Seattle's offensive line be able to hit the ground running? Our fifth and final story here as far as offensive line or offensive storylines going into training camp will the Seahawks have the services of Chris Carson and what does that mean to the running back room obviously if you have Chris Carson and just the physical physical type of back that he is that just makes Seattle's running game that much stronger but obviously there's a lot of talent there besides Carson not the least of which is Ken Walker who we're hoping is going to wind up signing his rookie contract before training camp is as his as his fellow second round pick Boye Mafe the edge rusher for Minnesota just announced a couple of moments ago again two Day July 26th. Yeah, that's going to be another storyline in itself. Can you get all your rookies signed? I can't remember the last time the Seahawks have had to worry about that because typically you have all your draft picks signed, but I would expect that Ken Walker III is going to sign the dotted line before the first training camp practice comes tomorrow. As for Chris Carson, that's really anyone's guess. We heard from Chris here on the show a few weeks back, and he still seemed optimistic about his chances of being able to play. Pete Carroll has not echoed those sentiments with his comments that he has made publicly coming off neck surgery. So we'll see if Carson's there. If not, the Seahawks still really have pretty good depth and talent at the running back position. But having him there would make that group that much better with the two-time 1,000-yard rusher. We're going to continue our 90-man countdown into the top 15 coming up next, 15 through 11. A lot of valuable veterans, a few newcomers on this list as well. We're going to get to that here in a moment. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when unexpected expenses come up. Now Dave can help you get out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, 
or catch up on bills, you can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account or get up to $500 instantly for terms and conditions. Go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve member FDIC. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. It's officially report day for the Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're getting to the bottom of our 90-man countdown, the top 15 players on the Seahawks roster heading into training camp numbers 15 through 11 on tap today. And we're going to start in the offensive line, a player that you actually just mentioned here in the first segment, his addition coming to the Seahawks last year in exchange for a fifth round pick from the Raiders. Gabe Jackson was expected to be that difference maker that really changed things for this offensive line. They were trying to appease Russell Wilson in the process after he complained about getting hit too much. And Gabe Jackson, for the most part, in that regard, was pretty solid. He did give up a career high in pressures, so that's not what the Seahawks were hoping for. But didn't give up very many sacks, didn't give up very many quarterback hits last year, and it seemed like he found his groove a little bit late in the season. I don't know that we ever saw the best that Gabe Jackson has to offer during the 2021 season, but late in the year, he was a key cog in the run game getting hot. His pass protection numbers improved in the second half of the season. Really early on, you have to wonder how much of it was just gelling with a new line and the communication aspect, changing centers. There were a lot of things going on in the trenches that negatively impacted players. And Jackson was one of them that really turned things around in the second half. So maybe that is a good omen heading into this season. His second year with the team, he's worked with Andy Dickerson now, who's the new offensive line coach. So maybe Jackson is set up for much greater success in year two, uh, but certainly last year, while it was good, didn't really live up to expectations. Yeah, I think that's fair, Corbin. I I think that Gabe Jackson was solid, but he was billed by some to be a spectacular addition. As a former Pro Bowler, as a former early uh, pick, uh, you know, out of the SEC, um, those things were were expected. Um, At the same time, I think that it's you know we, we talked about how. The, the, the struggles with communication between the then center at that time, Kyle Fuller, and the left tackle, Dwayne Brown, we saw that kind of show up on tape at times. We talked about that during the season. You know, of, of course, with Gabe Jackson, he's playing right next to that center um, who doesn't have much experience. So I think that the early season struggles by Gabe Jackson were a little bit to be expected because he was making that transition. And it is encouraging that his play got better down the stretch. I think that having a more traditional kind of pocket style quarterback, whether it be Drew Locke or Geno Smith or Jacob Eason for that matter, is certainly going to help Gabe Jackson as well. Because you think about the quarterbacks that he protected for during his college and NFL careers, those are been those kind of traditional pocket passers. So I think that Gabe Jackson is a big part of Seattle's offensive line um, and why that could be a strength for this club. But we talked about this before also. The depth that Seattle has in the interior offensive line, I also think that it makes Gabe Jackson a little bit of a, a kind of a luxury item that, that Seattle might be able to kind of talk to some other clubs about so, as well. So again, I think a really important foundational piece of, of Seattle's offensive line, but also because he's a veteran on a relatively young team going through some changes, they also could be something that you could trade away if you needed to also. 
Speaking of foundational pieces, that's been Chris Carson in the backfield since coming into the NFL as a seventh-round pick in 2017. Now, obviously, his rookie year missed most of the season with a fractured ankle, but then the next two years, back-to-back 1,000-yard campaigns. He was productive in 2020, but had under 700 rushing yards, did miss a few games with injuries, and then last year, only four games played before neck and a neck injury ended up landing him on injured reserve. And eventually he underwent surgery, which is why we are in the position that we are in now, Rob, where the Seahawks and Carson don't know whether he is going to be available this upcoming season or able to play football again, quite frankly, coming off a neck surgery, playing the running back position where you are getting battered every single play, especially with his running style. He's such a tenacious battering ram between the tackles. He loves lowering his shoulder, lowering the boom. A player like that is going to take a lot of punishment to the neck area. And so that is a major concern heading into training camp. Now, if there's a guy that can pull this off and come back and be able to play again, don't ever doubt Chris Carson with what he's overcome to become a thousand yard rusher in the NFL, but at the same time, it still feels like it's going to be extremely challenging for him to even get clearance. We just don't know yet. That is something we should have an idea here in the next day or two, whether he's going to get a shot to play or whether the career that he's built is unfortunately over due to injury. Yeah, I think that um, realistically, I think that most of us are kind of expecting that Chris Carson is going to, you know, be basically on the pup list, physically enabled to perform list to start this training camp. But we're all kind of crossing our fingers, hoping that that number 32 gets that opportunity because, you know, I, I kind of tongue in cheek said it all year long a year ago, Corbin, when everybody was talking about the let Russ cook. And I was saying that, you know, Chris Carson is the guy that kind of sets the table. And we kind of talked about that. Of course, you and I both being running back aficionados just Carson's physicality just brings a different element to Seattle's team so yeah it is one of the absolute biggest storylines not only from a football perspective from a human interest perspective because this is a young man who has overcome some challenges and has become an absolute NFL star and he's still a very young player who could be a centerpiece for the Seahawks so yes Chris Carson is going to be a fascinating storyline to, to focus in on uh, as we move throughout training camp but moving forward another young player that I think makes a lot of sense for Seahawks fans to be focusing on because we're talking about the guys now Corbin that are you know can add wins to your roster and that being Puna Ford the defensive tackle we talked about some of the the questions about his fit in that 3-4 scheme but you know his size with his long arm and quick twitch, uh, you know, he can be a difference maker. And so I, I think that Puna Ford might just be the most important of all of the defensive linemen, even though he is the guy that kind of oddly is built the worst for Seattle's scheme. Yeah, I think that the misnomer that's out there right now, there have been plenty of fans that have pointed this out on social media. They're they're looking at Puna Ford's size and his skill set being a penetrating defensive tackle. And I think that the misnomer out there is 3-4 is probably not going to be a good fit for him. But the thing is, you go back and you watch the film, Puna Ford is a very good two-gapper. He is not Mm -hmm. just a gap splitter. He can do both at a very high level. He's played head up as a nose tackle. He's been able to play in the B-gap as a three-tack. He's done all these different things. And so I don't think the Seahawks are going to have any issues moving him around the line. I think he's still going to get a few snaps occasionally playing on the nose just because his quickness creates so many problems for centers. 
So they're going to move him around, and I anticipate he's going to be very productive as he has been. I keep saying it. At some point, there's going to be a breakout year in the sack category. Maybe this is the year it finally happens because he is entering a contract year. He has the highest cap hit on the Seahawks, but he's going to be a free agent next year. There's a lot on the line for him in terms of money, and this is going to be a prime opportunity for him maybe to hit free agency. So I expect there to be just another level for Puna Ford this year. And, and really the pass rushing stats are going to be what makes him the most money and playing in a three, four, he's going to have his opportunities to be able to do that. And so I still believe that Puna Ford has a chance to have a breakout season this year and get that bag next off season, whether it's from the Seahawks or from another team. I don't think the scheme fit is going to be an issue coming in at number 12, a player that needs a bounce back season. And then some Damian Lewis coming off a really good rookie year last season, was not near as good for him. And he had a number of issues they had to deal with. He was injured for a good portion of the season. He battled an abdomen issue, an elbow injury, a shoulder injury. And then he also had to move positions. And I don't think that that went near as smoothly as the Seahawks hoped that it was going to. And it really proves that just because you can play right guard at a high level doesn't mean that you are just going to immediately play left guard at a high level. And I think that that did impact Damian Lewis's play some because he had played right guard exclusively in college and in his first year in the NFL, makes this switch over to the left side and just didn't seem like he was the same punishing presence in the run game. He did improve his penalties significantly, so that's a good thing. And I thought in pass protection, he was up and down. Injuries probably impacted him more there than it did in the run game. But he had a very uneven season, missed a handful of games, they really need him in year three to rediscover his rookie form, coupled with not having as many penalties. If you can do that, this kid still has a ceiling to be a Pro Bowl caliber guard. We just unfortunately didn't see that last year due to numerous factors. He, he has that ceiling. He has that mentality, Corbin. I mean, that, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, Ed Orgeron, his, favorite, his former coach at LSU, he like, kind of talked with Pete Carroll in, in the pre-draft process about that. Carroll talked about that many, many times. Um, and, and you've seen that. Uh, you, you touched upon the, the, the different list of injuries that Damian Lewis had to go through a season ago. And, and so he showed a great deal of toughness and just kind of overcoming as much as that he, that he was able to overcome, as well as that positional switch um and that is a difficult one i understand why seattle did it damian lewis is athletic um you know when you had russell wilson as a right arm quarterback i mean seahawks fans listening and watching can probably close their eyes and just remember how many times that russell wilson would drop back and do his little spin and the left guard and left tackle are the blockers who are primarily in charge of blocking the guys that russell wilson is trying to spin away from that's an awful lot of pressure to put on a second year nfl player making that positional switch and, and so I do think that we are going to see similar to Gabe Jackson in year two. I think you're going to see a, a better play from Damian Lewis in year two of this positional switch for him. I think that the interior of the offensive line is going to be a surprising strength for the Seahawks and why they will be relying as much as I expect them to do on the running game. As far as surprising strengths go, I talked about it for most of the episode on Monday, Seattle's pass rush, a big reason for the optimism, at least from my front, look into this pass rush going this season is the newcomer Uchenna Nuosu coming over from the Chargers. His first season as a starter a year ago, five sacks, 40 pressures, put up some pretty good numbers playing across from Joey Bosa. And he's a natural in the three, four. He's already played in this defense. As he told reporters after signing his contract, 
The big reason why he was interested in Seattle is because of the scheme fit. That was one of his big selling points. He wanted to play in his 3-4 with Clint Hurt as the coordinator, some Vic Fangio principles. That was really enticing to him. And just having a different scenery in Seattle than he's known in Southern California. So those, those were two of his biggest reasons for making this move. And Nuosu at 250 pounds really packs a punch. This guy plays a physical brand of football. He's got the explosiveness to fly off the edge and win as a speed rusher too. It feels like he's just coming into his own. Didn't have a lot of opportunities to rush the pass for his first few years in the league. And then last year, you started to get a glimpse of what he's capable of. Now his pressure percentage, according to Pro Football Focus, was under 10%. You'd like to see him bump that up to 11 or 12%. And maybe in this defense, with the other personnel the Seahawks have put around him, He'll have that opportunity to do that, but there's a lot to like with this kid because he can win with bull rushes. He can win with finesse. He's got some well-refined counter moves. He's got a motor. He's going to be going balls to the wall every single play. And so there's a lot to like about this kid. He's got some coverage abilities. Well, just really a great scheme fit. And if you're the Seahawks, you're hoping this two-year contract that you ended up paying this kid. He's only 25 that the real breakout season is coming from him this year in his first year in Seattle. And again, I, I'm going to sound like I am just wearing my my Seahawk blue or green glasses here, but Nuosu is a player that I'm really excited about. Uh, you know, they, they say in boxing that contrasting styles make for great fights, and the, the physicality that you talked about with Nuosu is just such a great contract to the speed, explosiveness, linear uh, quickness that is Daryl Taylor and Boye Mafe. Um, and I think that the, those three different styles of edge rushers is going to give C a much more formidable pass rush this season than we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, and so I'm really intrigued by that. And you know, one team that, of course, Nichena Nuosu, the former uh, member of the Los Angeles Chargers, is very familiar with is the Denver Broncos. And I think that it just fits in so well for Nuosu to come in and have a splashy performance in week one because that is the kind of junkyard dog mentality that he has always played with going back to his days at USC. And, and so I really think that this is kind of one of those again relatively national relatively unheralded storylines from a national perspective you and i have talked a lot about nuosu but i really do think that he is a very much a challenger to lead the seahawks in sacks and i think that mafe and daryl taylor um also are guys that have that eight to ten plus sack kind of potential you put all of that up and seattle has an ability to jump dramatically up the sack numbers this upcoming season and obviously that would result in some victories as well you heard it here first, folks. Lieutenant Nuosu is going to have a big game sacking Russell Wilson once or twice against the Denver Broncos. Rob didn't say that word for word, but expect Nuosu to be hungry playing a former AFC West foe, and the stakes are going to be pretty high in that season opener given the fact Russell Wilson is going to be playing back in his former stomping grounds at Lumen Field. All right, Rob, we've got training camp set to start tomorrow. Seahawks, rookies and veterans reporting today. You mentioned there's a few other dates that stand out more to you. This is truly one of my favorite days when NFL players come back for the start of training camp because we've had this long doldrum, six weeks where there hasn't been anything going on, and now we get the chance to finally see the players back on the field, and you know that games are going to be here in the next month. You're going to have your preseason games, but I'm talking the real games. They're getting closer, and so certainly this is a huge stepping stone on the calendar for NFL fans. Keeping that in mind, what we're going to be doing these next couple of days, 
We're going to be breaking down the players that have the most pressure to perform coming into training camp. And with this being an offensive-centric episode, get a dish it to you first, Rob. Who do you think has the most pressure on their shoulders to have a strong training camp for the Seattle Seahawks on the offensive side of the football? Well, that's some low-hanging fruit there, buddy. I mean, I think you have to start off with Drew Locke. I mean, obviously, you, you trade away the franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson, and fair or not, Drew Locke is the quarterback that you got in uh, in, in return for him. Now, of course, all those draft picks, all the other players that, that Seattle acquired are important as well, but I think that there is a lot of pressure on Drew Locke, much more so than Geno Smith, interestingly enough, um, to, to really be able to play up to expectations. And if he does not win the job outright, uh, then I think that there, again, is going to be that national kind of mentality that, oh, he is a bust and Seattle, uh, you know, really screwed up this this draft or th this trade. So I, I think that there is no player, perhaps nobody in Seattle, not from the coaches, not from a general manager, not anybody that has more pressure on him entering the 2022 NFL season, in my opinion, than Drew Locke. Playing the quarterback position is going to add immediate pressure. And obviously, when you're replacing the best quarterback in franchise history, potentially, that just makes it that much tougher. So, yeah, Locke and Smith both have a lot on their plate. But I would agree with you, Locke, given his circumstances, probably has the most pressure. Among the players that is going to be catching passes from either Drew Locke or Geno Smith, I think D. Eskridge has a tremendous amount of pressure on him this year not just because his rookie season was a disappointment. We, as we've talked about, the injuries prevented him from being on the field. He missed seven games of the concussion, had just 10 catches for 62 yards, 6.2 yards per reception. And it felt like Shane Waldron really didn't know how to get him involved. It was too predictable with the jet sweeps, not getting him involved in the screen game, not taking advantage of his speed as a deep threat. He just didn't get involved anywhere close to how the Seahawks anticipated that he would be as a rookie. All those physical tools are there. D. Eskridge can be an outstanding NFL receiver and a great complement to D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but he's got a lot of pressure on him because of how last year played out and also the fact that Creed Humphrey is now a star center in Kansas City already and the Seahawks had a chance to pick him and they chose Eskridge instead. Whether fair or not, Eskridge is going to be judged based off that now. And so he needs to prove his worth, that he was worthy of that second round selection. And we've talked time and time again about how badly this team needs a third weapon to emerge in the passing game, especially with a quarterback that isn't of Russell Wilson's caliber. They're going to need third and fourth receivers that can step up as outlets. And D. Eskridge can be such a weapon in the quick passing game, creating after the catch. Those are the kind of receivers that could really make life easier for Drew Locke or Geno Smith. And so there's a lot of pressure on Eskridge, but at the same time, there's still a lot of excitement about this player, at least from my perspective, that he can be a difference maker on offense for the Seahawks. Yeah, it's very similar to Drew Locke, as I mentioned before, Corbin. I think there's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, it's exciting talent and it's an exciting opportunity. And so, yeah, I think that D. Eskridge, his fit in Shane Waldron's offense is, is clear. That's why Seattle dropped him in the first place. Um, I, I think that what also is clear is that Charles Cross – is has to be the man at left tackle and so i started off having the conversation about drew Locke and all the expectations of replacing a legend we haven't talked about this enough seattle has to replace a legend in dwayne brown long time multiple pro bowler uh you know and what 13 year nfl veteran i believe it is i mean my goodness what a uh you know a a, tra a traditional 
at a reliable left tackle that he has been for as long as he has been in the NFL. Um, and, and now Charles Cross, as a redshirt sophomore, um, is being is coming in and being expected to, to handle that. Uh, I think that, that is a, you know just kind of fascinating decision by, by Seattle to put that much pressure and have no quality proven backups currently on the roster as they start training camp. So I think there's an awful lot of pressure on, on Charles Cross. I mean, again, you talked about with Drew Locke, he was the quarterback that was brought in to replace Russell Wilson. But the, the the biggest commodity at this point in that Russell Wilson trade was the number nine overall selection, the 2022 draft. And that of course was used on Charles Cross. So there is as much pressure on Cross arguably as there is on anybody other than Drew Locke at, at this point. With all due respect to the player you mentioned, D. Eskridge, a year ago, again, if Charles Cross is not a star, if he has not proved himself to be a legitimate early first-round pick player, then this whole Russell Wilson trade thing could wind up absolutely blowing up in Seattle's face. Yeah, no pressure. You're a top-10 pick. You're replacing Dwayne Brown, one of the best tackles of his era, a proven, reliable veteran that was an all-pro for the Seahawks as well as the Texans. So you've got some huge shoes to fill, and you're making this jump into a pro-style offense. There's questions about the run blocking. I don't necessarily have those same concerns as some people do from what I've seen on film, but it's still a huge jump going into this pro-style offense where there's going to be a lot more running, playing out of three-point stance. So yeah, number nine overall pick, you're supposed to be a star. You're supposed to be an impact player right away. The Seahawks need him to be at left tackle, the second most important position on the offensive side of the football. I'm going to state the skill positions for my second selection here. And I know Noah Fant and Will Disley are atop the depth chart, but I talked about the tight ends yesterday and I still, Colby Parkinson to me still has a very high ceiling and he has a unique skill set. There are not many six foot seven tight ends out there that can also run in the low four sevens, high four sixes and have soft hands. He didn't drop a single pass during his career at Stanford. I mean, this guy is a rock when you are throwing the football to him. And at that size with those athletic traits, he should be a matchup nightmare. I know that that's a cliche term that's used a lot, but I mean, he truly is a nightmare. If you're a corner safety or linebacker, that's not what you want to be dreaming about. Oh, I got to defend a six, seven tight end that can run and he can catch everything. You don't want to have to cover guys like that, particularly inside the 20-yard line. And we've seen the flashes when he's been healthy, but then the foot injuries have ended up costing him substantially. His development's been hindered by that. The belief, and at least from my perspective, is that this kid can be a player that can get you 25 catches, 300 yards receiving, and get you six, seven, eight touchdowns if you really maximize his ability. And yet he's had seven catches total. And no touchdowns his first two seasons been very limited in terms of being involved in the passing game. That needs to change. He had a really good start to training camp last year, got hurt. Can he build off of that and then stay healthy throughout camp? To me, there's some pressure on Parkinson going to year three. This is your chance to prove you can be an asset for this offense. And if you get hurt again or you really struggle this time around, you might be looking towards the end of the line with your career in Seattle. So there's a lot at stake for him.
Yeah, no question about it. Same thing you could argue with Noah Fant or Will Disley considering the money that they've been allocated. Uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of pressure at that tight end position. And yes, uh, on Parkinson, considering the struggles with durability, especially, I, I think that it's critical um, that he takes that next step. You know, you're, you're talking about a young player there, a guy that we are hoping it takes that next step. One that Seattle is hoping that kind of reverts back to the starting form that he showed um, is Austin Blythe. And, and he is Seattle center at this point. I mean, obviously Kyle Fuller remains on the roster. Ethan Posick is elsewhere. Uh, Seattle may, you know, there's a possibility a guy like a Dakota Shepley might be able to get himself into the mix, but it seems pretty clear that the veteran Austin Blythe is going to be that center. And that not, isn't necessarily a huge upgrade. And, and considering the, the talent of the pass rush, especially guys like Aaron Dahls, we've talked about endlessly um, on our show. That is a huge area of concern. And I said before, I do think that Seattle's Sack numbers allowed, sacks allowed this season is going to improve because it is just so difficult blocking for a guy like Russell Wilson. But at the same time, when you have a lack of experience at the quarterback position like Seattle is going to have, whether it be Locke or Smith at quarterback, then I obviously is a concern. So Blythe has to come in and be a steadying force. And that's an awful lot of pressure to put on a player who probably is going to be spending today, Corbin, introducing himself to some of his new teammates. Yeah, for the most part, the line has been there for OTAs and minicamps. They do have that advantage. They've gotten some chances to gel on the field. But when you've got two rookie tackles potentially starting on day one, that is a lot of pressure to put on your center to be able to bring that unit together with the communication calls, get everybody on the same page. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of weight on Blythe. And he's on a one-year deal, too. Like, you're playing for your future here in Seattle. And you've played for Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson. You know them well. You know the scheme well. That's going to help your acclimation period. You should be able to jump right in. But at the same time, you really need to play at a high level to guarantee your opportunity next season. Otherwise, you might be out on the free agent market again. And after a missed opportunity in Kansas City last year, only playing four games, if he has another subpar season – he might be on the outside looking in in terms of getting a starting job next year. And so he's got a lot on his plate trying to be the headliner of this offensive line, the leader, the main communicator with a lot of youngsters that are going to be around him. And he's on a one-year contract. It's certainly a huge season coming up for Austin Blythe. Real quick, I know he's not an offensive player technically, but I'm just going to throw Jason Myers out because he does score points. He's a field goal kicker. And the Seahawks are bringing in kickers for tryouts. And I'm not saying that that means they're looking to replace Jason Myers, but it actually shows they may be looking to add another kicker to compete against him, which I think is a statement if the Seahawks end up doing that. Now, trying out and signing are two different things, but Myers had a subpar 2021 season. So I feel like he needs to have a really good training camp to get the confidence back up from his teammates and the organization. Otherwise, they might start considering going other directions because this is going to be a team that if they win games, they're going to be close calls, and kickers have a lot of bearing on that. So you want stability. You want consistency there. And Myers has not been consistent in his three seasons as the place kicker for the Seahawks. They're hoping they get 2020 Jason Myers and not 2019 and 2021 Myers. And so there's a lot of stake for him going into the final year of his contract as well. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to continue our training camp 
primer. We're going to be looking at some defensive storylines and defensive players that have a lot to prove, a lot of pressure on them heading into this training camp. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Happy start of training camp. Go Hawks.